Last week, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday was amazing. We celebrated the resurrection. We celebrated Jesus. We had an amazing service. We had so many people contributing and joining in and, and making service happen. I want to say thank you to everybody who took part in the message, everybody who took part in setting things up. So that uh, team one, thank you, setting things up so that everybody who was coming in could just be free just to focus on what God was doing that morning. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. Today, we're going to talk about our response to the resurrection. We celebrated the resurrection, but as, as you can probably guess, when, when something dies, buried, and then it comes back to life again, there's got to be a response, there's got to be a response. That's not normal, right? There's got to be some sort of response. And so last week, we celebrated the resurrection. We had an opportunity. It was a beautiful moment. We, were, we got to write on poster boards, and we were holding them up. And, and from my vantage point, seeing all of the resurrection stories, all of these wonderful things that people were declaring, that this is what God is doing in my life. I saw hope. I saw freedom. I saw connection. I saw people writing down, God is giving me restoration. God is bringing love. I saw all of these things. And we were writing down what God was doing in our life and sharing our resurrection stories. And it was awesome. And it's something that we should do often. We should often celebrate the resurrection that God is bringing to our lives on a daily basis. And we need to remember one thing in all of this, that the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. If Jesus is just a teacher, that's wonderful. If he's just an earthly being who teaches us really good things, that's amazing. But Jesus is more than that. Jesus, uh, Jesus's resurrection, his, his death, his burial, and his coming to life again it opens us up to a brand new reality and it reorients ourselves that there's hope. There's hope from things beyond this life, right? Think about this. So if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, then we have, we have no hope. Anybody ever read if you give a mouse a cookie, right? So if you do this, then this happens. If you do this, then he's going to want that. If you do that, he's going to want a glass of milk. So that's kind of what, that's, that's the trail we're going on here for the next minute or so. If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, we have no hope. We have no hope. If we have no hope for redemption in this life, for the kingdom in this life, or in the next one, then we resolve ourselves to, well, this life is all there is. When this ends, it just ends. And that's a very dangerous perspective to take because if we, if we adopt that, if this life is all there is and then it's over, then tend towards, I said humans, but I cut out the humans, that's us. Humans, if this life is all there is, if it's finite, then we tend towards nihilism. Nihilism is that philosophy where you think, well, nothing matters. Nothing makes a difference. It's all going to end. It's all staying here on this earthly plane. So I can do anything. There's no consequences for anything. There's no reward for anything. Nothing matters if we have no hope. If this is all there is, we trend towards nihilism and we get convinced that everything in life lacks purpose, lacks meaning. What, I mean, what's the point? What's, what's the good in doing anything? But last Sunday, we made a really, really, really incredibly bold statement. We celebrated the resurrection. We celebrated the resurrection and we said, yes, that happened. That's real. We have our faith there. That's, that's, the, that's the reality that we ascribe to. Jesus did die. 
he was buried. He did raise back to life again. And then he did ascend and he's living in our hearts right now. And so ultimately we have hope. We have hope. There is far more than just this life. There's far more than just this experience. And as we're, you know, as we're talking about things like, let's invite the Holy Spirit in. Without the resurrection, we're just, we're just here concerned in this plane. We're concerned in what this life has to offer. But now we have hope that there are things beyond what our earthly experience is. And we invite those in. We welcome them. And I think the greatest evidence for, the greatest evidence that points towards the reality of the resurrection is personal transformation. Like we can argue back and forth. None of us were actually there. So we can argue back and forth about historical records and writings and whether that's credible, that's credible. This but I know, and you know, because you've either experienced it yourself or you've seen it in other people, that when you encounter the resurrected Lord, there's evidence. It changes things. Personal transformation is the greatest evidence I think that we have of the reality of the resurrection. So we're gonna talk really quickly about 12 guys who encountered the living Jesus and the resurrected one. We're gonna talk about the 12 disciples just a little bit. I mean, if there was a greater evidence for personal transformation than the disciples, I really honestly don't know what that would be. It's a group of young guys, just a bunch of dudes just hanging out, different, uh, different backgrounds, different uh, professions, different attitudes, different mindsets, different, you know, just, just different from a variety of different places. And Jesus meets them and calls them and says, come, come work with me. Come live with me. Come learn from me. Let my life kind of become your life, right? And, and as they go through their experience with Jesus, both in the flesh and then as the resurrected Lord, you see there's some intense personal transformations. Jesus takes them from one state of being into something very different. Uh, we talked about Peter last week. By the way, wasn't Clayton amazing as Peter last week? Thank you, man. It was awesome. It was awesome. He w- oh my gosh, he was a rock. And upon him, we will build our message. We, we, so we mentioned Peter last week on Easter, and Peter is a great example of personal transformation, right? We talked about it uh, last week about how Peter uh, was always kind of putting his foot in his mouth. Peter was always kind of saying and doing brash things. He was kind of acting without thinking. Like he was a, he was a I'm going to jump, and then I'm going to think about whether that was a good idea or not kind of guy. And, and, and he even went so far as he was, I guess, I uh, I don't know if it was fearful. I don't know if it was prideful. I don't know what it was, but he went so far as to, Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no way. That's dumb. I would never do that. And then he does it. He goes from denying Jesus's existence, denying relationship, and then running away from the situation. That's one whole level of relational experience, right? But after the resurrection, I mean, before the resurrection, Jesus even tells him, get behind me, Satan. I mean, that's not the kind of thing you want Jesus telling you, right? That's, that's I believe that might be uh, like sort of a smackdown in Jesus' language, right? Get behind me, Satan. That's the last thing I want the Lord to tell me. But after the resurrection, Peter's transformed. He's always been bold, but now he's bold, he's courageous, and he's filled with grace, 
He's always been willing to speak, but after the resurrection, he, he preaches to thousands and performs miracles. After the resurrection, he, he's ultimately just willing to give his life for this gospel, willing to give his life for this Lord, this one that, that, that he's met and has changed his life. And it's the same story with each of those original followers of Jesus, right? They, they were face-to-face -face with the resurrected Lord, with the King of Kings, and their lives were changed forever. This is, I'm sorry, this message is part of a down, is a downer part of the message, but I'm going somewhere, so just bear with me. Let's take a look at how some of the disciples, their lives ended. That's a terrible way to phrase that. I'm so sorry. But not to be too much of a downer, but we're going to take a look at some of their cases, right? So John boiled in oil and then, and then exiled to Patmos. I'm going somewhere. Stick with me. I promise. <laughs> we celebrated the resurrection last year. Let's talk about getting boiled in oil. That's not the whole point of the message. Andrew, Thaddeus, Simon, Philip, all crucified. Peter and Nathaniel, both crucified. Peter actually said, it's heresy to be crucified in the same way that my Lord was. So he was crucified upside down. Um, Thomas was killed with a spear. Matthew killed with a pickaxe. James beheaded. And then later on, the apostle Paul was beheaded. Now, the point here is not to talk about how terrible it is that they were, I know, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that, rather. I'm so sorry. Um, but as strange as it sounds, how, what they were willing to give up is evidence to me for how real their transformation was. What they were willing to give up, what they were willing to go through is evidence for me that they had encountered something life-changing and worth sacrificing for. Uh, Lee Strobel, who wrote Case for Christ and, and many other books, who was a, an atheist who found the Lord and then was, has been trying to lead other people uh, logically to that point, said this about that. He said, nobody willingly dies for something that they know is false. Nobody willingly gives everything for something that they just don't believe to be true. And it didn't stop with the disciples. Not that, not that I know or have known anybody who has sacrificed to that level, but I know and you know people who have been drastically changed, drastically changed by encountering Jesus, drastically changed by knowing that he died for me. He rose again for me. And because of that, I now have full access to the Father. We know people like that. We are people like that, right? Matthew, um, Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So it's one thing to say that we're going to live for Jesus. And we say that a lot. I want to live for Jesus. And that's an awesome thing to say, I want to live for Jesus. But it's another thing, it's a whole different level to be willing to sacrifice things for Jesus. To go without. To change our habits. To let go of things that are holding us back. I do want to live for Jesus. But I want to be the kind of person who's willing to let go of things for him too. So the question isn't really like, what are we living for? 
Because if it's what are we living for, then the question is really still centered around us. And it's centered around, well, what do I want to get out of this? What am I hoping to gain? It becomes me-centric. The question isn't what are we living for. The question is what are we willing to give up? What are we willing to lose for Jesus? That's the real question. That's the real question. In his death and in his resurrection, Jesus gives us everything. I mean, he sacrificed everything for us. And then in the resurrection, he made a way so that all of the things that he has can come to us. But he sacrificed everything and gave us everything in his death and in his resurrection. And it's important how we respond to that. The Gospel of Luke talks about this. In chapter 12, verse 48, it says, "Whoever." and Nathan, I didn't give you this slide. It says, uh, whoever has been given much will be responsible for much. Jesus gave everything for us and how we respond to that, how we react to that, there's a lot of weight on that question. Whoever has been given much will be responsible for much. Much more will be expected from the one who's been given more. And if you're a Spider-Man nerd, then you know that Uncle Ben kind of said this too, right? He, he, said, he said, with great power comes great responsibility. It's the same concept. When you've been given something so valuable, it's important to understand the gravity of your choices as you embrace that or reject it. It means a lot. To follow, with, to follow Jesus with everything, like that almost sounds crazy. I mean, really, when we say to follow him with everything, to follow him to the point that the disciples followed him. Follow Jesus with everything. And, we, and there's still a little bit in the back of our mind that's probably thinking, well, you don't mean like everything, right? You don't mean like, like I, I, I could like keep some stuff, right? And that's how we approach Jesus sometimes, because I think that's how we approach life sometimes. Does anybody else shop at places where you only go to the clearance rack? That's me. I, it doesn't matter. It could be like a story where it's really expensive stuff and they don't have a clearance rack. I'm still looking. I'm like, come on, help me out, please. Something that's like 5% off would be really helpful. I'm a bargain shopper. I, took a look, I actually took a picture. I was getting school clothes school, for teaching, not for like when I was a kid, but when I was going into a school year, I went, I told Jennifer, I'm going to go shopping and I'm going to go pick up some new clothes for school. And I went into three stores. And as I was coming out of three stores, I said, oh, I've got, I've definitely got a type of store. I like stores apparently with big white block lettering on a blue background. I shopped at Sam's and Walmart and Goodwill. Those were those were my, <laughs> I need new clothes. I'm going to go to those three places. That's my bread and butter right there. We're bargain shoppers, right? We want the highest possible benefit at the lowest possible cost. And we, if we approach our, our response to Jesus in that same way, then we miss the central call of being Christians. The central call of being Christians is to lay down our lives and surrender to the leadership of Jesus Christ. That's the core of it. And if we go bargain shopping for what we can get out of it without having to give too much, then we miss it. Then we miss the central calling. We're going to read John 12, 24 and 25. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I want to take a break from the message here really quickly just to, um, 
we saw this yesterday in, 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 a, in a small form. Right, we saw this yesterday. Uh, so I posted on some of my social media stuff and then on the One Chapel Liberty Hill community page on Facebook um, out near Salado. There's a couple of churches and some homes about a four-mile stretch there that were, they were hit by the tornado, the F3 tornado that came through the Tuesday before Easter. So Cedar, uh, First Cedar Valley Baptist Church, Victory Baptist Church, and several homes along those lines. And so Daryl uh, McGill, who's not... He's not here right now, but he, he was going, driving through on a Monday, this last Monday, and he called me and said, we got to do something. Can we help folks? And so we didn't know quite what to do. We didn't know quite what to do, actually, all the way up until Thursday night, this last Thursday night, when he was talking with someone, and they said, actually, just like a meal would be great, just if you could come out and just get some, get some food to people, because people are busy trying to rebuild their homes. It's 30 minutes to go in and get something neat, so by the time you go get something neat and come back, that's an hour plus eating time, we could be rebuilding. We could be working. Um, so we put out the call. I was, you guys, One Chapel Liberty Hill is a fantastic church with fantastic people. I just want to thank you guys because it was 8.30 in the morning on Friday that I messaged all the staff and I said, hey, here's the situation. We want to make some burgers and hot dogs. We just want to go out and feed some people, maybe deliver some meals. Can we get word out to our group leaders? Can we get word out to team one? 8.30 in the morning. And by noon on Friday, we had everything we needed. Three and a half hours. Three and a half hours of you saying, yeah, I can help. What's the need? I, I'm willing to give this. I'm willing to sacrifice my time. I'm willing to donate. I'm willing to sacrifice from what I have. I'm willing to go out and do some shopping. I'm, I'm willing to contribute so that we can be a blessing to some other members of our, of our body. Right? This is the church being the church and blessing members of the family. And, and it, was just a, it, it, it was just a small thing. When you think about it, we just, we just went out and cooked some burgers, cooked some hot dogs. But as as we're reading in John 12, 24 through 25, it says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And I feel like yesterday, relationally, and just having an opportunity to go out and let people know we love you. We're in this, we're in this body with you and we want to make sure that some of your needs are taken care of. It was a small thing. It was a seed but I, I believe that God uses seeds like that to grow something much bigger. I believe he uses, to re, even if it's just to reassure somebody at that Baptist church, hey, we're all one body. There's other churches and they've got my back. I, I'm, I, we're seen, we're known, we're taken care of. God is providing. That's huge. So don't discount even the smallest little things. I was talking with Felix yesterday and we both said, this feels like a day that has purpose in it. This feels like a day of purpose. And that's what we're talking, excuse me, that's what we're talking about here. That's what we're talking about here. It, it, it wasn't sacrificing our lives, but it was giving of something that we didn't expect to give. But you guys were all willing to do that. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you. On behalf of that church and on behalf of the people who uh, were blessed yesterday. And I got to tell you, we were blessed yesterday. Just the opportunity to give was such a blessing. So thank you. Thank you guys very much. <sighs> we now return to our previously scheduled message.
So the, the concept of giving up everything is like really difficult. Because um, we're talking about dying, right? We're talking about death. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, is what the scripture says. And that's death. We don't like death. I don't like to talk about death. I've been taught to be afraid of death, right? In our, in our culture, we're taught, oh, I don't want to talk about death. I got to be afraid of that. But we got to stop looking at, at death as an end because we're kingdom people. And when you're in the kingdom, God reframes everything, right? He takes everything that we think we know and he turns it upside down and backwards and says, see, it's like a matrix kind of thing. You thought it was one way, but it's totally different totally different. You think death is an end. And Jesus is saying, no, you're in the kingdom now. Death isn't an end. Death is a beginning. Death isn't final. Death is a beginning because fear teaches us that death is the end of life. But Jesus is teaching us through his example and through his word and through his spirit, he's teaching us that no, death is not the end of life because after death, comes burial. After burial comes resurrection. And after resurrection comes life. So death is actually just another way to get to new life. Giving up everything is another way to get to new life. So this is where we get on the topic of water baptism. Water baptism. I'm so excited. We're going to baptize people today. It's going to be amazing. We've got a couple of people already who are, uh, who are registered for baptism. And as we're going through today, if God's tugging on your heart and you're thinking, I want to get baptized again, it's not like a, you know, once you get dunked, that, that's it. You can never do it again. Uh, it's, by the way, it's also not, we're not doing that Nacho Libre style today where we have like a bucket of water and we're like, wow, felicidades. We're not doing that. It's going to be like, you know, full immersion in the trough. It's going to be beautiful. Uh, so the word, by the way, to say, to say all that, if you want to get baptized today, it's not too late. If God's tugging on your heart and you're thinking, I want to do that too. I want to do that today. Then you're, you're welcome. We got towels. We got extra clothes. We got you covered. We got water. Um, so the word for baptism is baptizo, which means to plunge or to dip or to immerse in water. We're going to take a look at how Paul describes water baptism in Romans 6, 1 through 8. So what should we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and we left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. And that's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we're raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. Man, Paul teaching us baptism class this morning. That's exactly what we're doing. Water baptism is the outward sign of the inward thing that Jesus is doing in your life. Right? The new creation has already begun in your heart. And, and if you are coming to get baptized today, I'm, I'm just going to ask you have, you, have you accepted Jesus into your heart? Have you made that decision to live for him and to follow him? I'm going to ask you that before we, you know, dunk you. Um, and, uh, and, but it's important, right? Because 
baptism isn't, isn't the thing that gets you saved. Baptism isn't the thing that gets, you, get, gets your heart right with God. That's something that, you know, baptism happens out there. We, we get the heart right with God. Just You can be, do that in your seat. You can just sit in your seat and like, Lord, come into my heart. Right? Baptism isn't salvation. It's not the same thing. Baptism is actually the outward sign of the inward thing that Jesus has already doing in your heart. Right? You've already decided to give your life to Christ. And that's really significant because of what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. He says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. It's not by works so that, so that no one can boast. Baptism isn't the way that we receive salvation. It's the way that we respond to salvation. It's the way that we kind of seal the deal. And we say, God, you're doing this work in my heart. And I know it, God, and you know it. And now I want everybody else to know it too. It's drawing that line in the sand and saying, this is where I stand in my relationship with the Father, my relationship with Jesus. And I want everyone to know it. It's a public declaration. It's going public with your relationship to the Lord. You go under the water and it represents the burial of your old self. You come back out and it represents your resurrection. Water baptism is about dying to the old ways, right? Uh, when the children of Israel were trying to flee from Egypt, this is not in your notes if you're going through the app. When the children of Israel were trying to flee Egypt, they weren't completely out until they crossed that river. They had to cross. They had to, they had to cross through the Red Sea. They had to part. Pharaoh was chasing them. Just like, honestly, just like the devil wants to chase us. The Pharaoh, Pharaoh was chasing them, saying, I want you back. I want you back. I know that you've made a decision to leave me, but I want you back. And so I'm going to pursue you. And that's exactly the, the way that sin nature kind of does to us. That's what the devil does to us. We make a decision with Jesus and we say, I, 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 don't, I don't want to sin anymore. I don't want, devil, I don't want any part of what you've got for me. I'm following the Lord's plan. He's not quite satisfied yet. And so he wants, he wants us back. And so with the children of Israel, they get to the, the border of, like, to get to the edge of the Red Sea, Pharaoh's still approaching. Moses raises his staff. You've seen the movie, you know. Moses raises up his staff in the Red, or you've been to Universal Studios. The Red Sea parts. They walk across, get on the other side, and then the, water, the, 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 the Red Sea closes back up, and Pharaoh is destroyed, or his armies are destroyed. The things that were pursuing them, trying so desperately to get them back, get crushed. And that's what baptism is. Baptism, it, for us, is like that crossing the Red Sea. It's like getting across the water. It's, it's making that statement that I now actually live in a whole new land. And I no longer am worried about what's chasing me, what's trying to get me back. I've made this public declaration. It's all under the water. It's all under the water now. Whew. So Jesus himself actually chose to surrender to water baptism out of obedience, even though he had never sinned. That's the second aspect of, uh, of water baptism that's really important. Like Jesus didn't sin at all. He didn't have to have that technically, I guess. He didn't have to have that under the water. There's my sin nature because he, he never sinned. But he did it as an act of faith for what God wanted to do through him. 
And that also applies to when we're getting baptized today. Your faith is in there. It's an act of faith. Like God's got something that he wants to do through me. And so out of obedience, because Jesus said, be baptized, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to walk in the fullness of what he has to do through me. So water baptism, a declaration of obedience and surrender to God. Let's look at Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. John tried to talk him out of it. (laughs) Whoops. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? Boy, that's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Like John the Baptist is like, I'm good at this. I mean, it's in my name. I do this like a lot. But uh, I, don't, I don't think that this, this feels weird. I mean, I think maybe I'm coming to the master now, and I, I don't think I should be baptizing you. And Jesus has to reassure him, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So after Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, which is actually one of the things that we'll be praying over all the people who are getting baptized today. Right? He starts a new life. Jesus starts a new life of Holy Spirit ministry, and he's commissioned by God. And it's the same for everybody getting baptized today. It's a Holy Spirit moment. It's a faith moment. And we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit comes upon you and, and begins a new level and a new work in ministry for you. Holy Spirit ministry that, that, is, that's, that follows your obedience to his command to be baptized. Look at Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Jesus commands the disciples uh, to continue to practice water baptism. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then getting back to Peter on the day of Pentecost when he's preaching to the crowd in Acts 2, he says, "Uh, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're praying over all of you getting baptized today. We'll baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and we'll baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. So we're going to finish here with three big ideas about baptism, because there's a lot going on. There's a lot happening. It's more than just getting dunked in water. There's a lot more happening. Baptism, number one, is personal. Baptism is personal. This is you identifying with Christ's death, identifying with his burial, identifying with his resurrection. It's you putting your faith out there, putting your faith on display, putting your obedience to God out there where other people can see it. It's personal. Paul said, Philippians 3, He said, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. We become like Jesus in his his suffering, in his death, his burial and resurrection, so that we can have that same new life through him as we come 
back out. And so faith actually has to be a part of the process. I mentioned earlier that Jesus went through baptism, even though he didn't technically have to, but it was because of an his faith. He said, I'm going to do this, and I know that as I do this, it opens something else up for God to work through me. And it's the same for us today. So baptism is personal. There's something going on in your life today, if you're being baptized, that's profound and exciting, transformational. But number two, you don't have to do it alone. Baptism is communal. You can't baptize yourself anyway, right? That'd be just weird, and I think we, it's called swimming if you do that, All right? So you can't, you can't baptize yourself. You need somebody else there. So it's, in some sense, it's communal, right? When people get baptized, now hopefully this happens today. When people get baptized, I've, I've been around a bunch of one-chapel baptisms already, and there's, you know, there's clapping, and there's shouting, and there's, there's celebration, and I hope that we do that today. That would be wonderful. If we don't, then I'm, it's just, just going to be a downer. So we have to celebrate. We have to clap. We have to shout because this is exciting stuff. There's transformation happening. So baptism is a profession of faith, not only personally, but as a part of a body. When you're baptized in front of your church family, in front of others, then there's that connection that comes between you and the rest of the body. It's an opportunity for us to celebrate together something that's happening in your life. It's, it's like you've made a private decision. I know that salvation is something that happens in your heart, but baptism is something that happens outwardly. Like, oh, he's not here. I shouldn't embarrass Ben. Can I embarrass Ben? Okay. So Ben, this is a big time for us. Don't tell him if you see him that I told you this. And I won't let him listen to the podcast. Um, ben has a girlfriend. <laughs> but so he has, and she's, she's, she's really cute. She's great. Um, they, they've been on, they went on a date. Kind of. They went, they went bowling. Which, I mean, that's good. That's a good junior high. In the afternoon with mom close by. So it's good. So. <laughs> they went, that's the hard part when you're like, like boyfriend and girlfriend and you're in junior high. You can't do anything. You can't go anywhere. Like nobody drives, you know, whatever. So, so you have to get your parents to take you. Anyway, so just getting to this point, um, ben, ben has a girlfriend, but it took a little bit to get there because um, he forgot one important step, which is asking if she wanted to be his girlfriend, right? So they've been hanging out, they've been doing stuff, and so, you know, when, when, when he finally asked, you know, hey, do you, you want to do this? And her response was basically like, yeah, was, I've been kind of waiting for you to ask that. We've been, like, hanging out. We've been, you know, so, 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 yeah, don't tell him that I said any of this at all. Be mortified, and then I, I, I'll have a son who just, you know, turns his back on me. I don't want to do that. But, but there was an internal thing happening like, I like this person. This person likes me. I think we know how we feel about each other. But unless there's something external, right, then it's still not a completed process, right? Well, that's, that's the reason why I wear my wedding band. And it looks like the band from Lord of the Rings, which is also, also cool, but that's not the main point. The, the, 
wear the wedding band because there's something in my heart that happened when I met Jennifer. And when we got married, I said, I'm committing my life to you. Um, but this is the sign not only to me, but to everybody else that, hey, there's a relationship in my life that's so important. I want everyone to know. I want everyone to know. There is power in declaration. There's power in actually asking the question, do you want to be my girlfriend? There's power in that. There's power in wearing the band. There's power in making something public because it, it builds up your faith and it also shifts the atmosphere around you when you make a public declaration of something. Uh, let's look at Matthew 10, 32. I'm nearly done, I swear. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Water baptism is one of those things that creates community and creates accountability. Everybody who's participating with you knows the step that you're taking, and we can come alongside you and encourage you. We know where you are, and we can come alongside and say, yeah, I support you in this. I'm here for you. It's a beautiful community-building thing. Number three, baptism is, this is a shocker, spiritual. Baptism is spiritual. It's not just symbolic. We're actually engaging real Holy Spirit power in this act of faith. Romans 8, 11 through 14 says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. At its core, water baptism is just basically saying, God, take over. God, take over. Sin doesn't control me. The places that I've been don't control me. I'm publicly declaring it's your way now. I live in a different land I follow a different, I follow a different, uh, different reality because we don't put sinful nature. We don't do any of this stuff. Uh, we don't put sinful nature to death on our own. We don't, you know, we, we don't get baptized on our own. Uh, something, there's something communal, something spiritual, something personal, and something very significant that happens when we get baptized. And I want to close by just one more little illustration. Um, you like pickles? Pickles? Pickles are good? I like pickles. Uh, I'm a big pickle fan. Um, but something, so when we're baptizing today, just remember, remember the pickles. Remember pickles. Something changes inside. A pickle wasn't always a pickle. A pickle was a cucumber, right? I know that's shocking. I'm sorry. For those of you who did not know and thought that pickles were, there were pickle trees, there are not. They were cucumbers, at one point. But there's two different Greek words going on, right? Baptizo means to immerse in something and transform it. Bapto means just to dip something and clean it off. So what's happening when we baptize is two things. People are, yes, they're getting immersed like a pickle. You got to wash the cucumber off. That's happening, right? Sins are washed away, all of that sort of thing. Um, but what happens when you put the cucumber into the solution and you, and you leave it there is 
it gets inside. Something happens. Something transforms. And when you take that cucumber back out, it's no longer a cucumber. It's a different thing now. It has a different name. It, goes, it, it looks different, tastes different, smells different. It, it's different. It's no longer a cucumber. It's now a pickle. And so what we're doing this morning is we're pickling some people. We're, 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 putting you, we're putting you in the solution. And when we bring you back out, there's transformative power. And that's what we're going to pray over people out there today. That's what we're going. We're going to extend our faith and believe that God's transformational power is in action as we baptize. Cool. Are we good? Excellent. So, so, <laughs> yeah, your composition changes when you get baptized. Um, and today, so we're, we're going we're gonna to baptize in just a little bit in our, in our very own backyard. We've got exciting stuff happening today. We're going uh, to leave here and then want to invite everybody, if you can, to come out to the backyard. We'll all go out there together. Uh, we'll, we'll have baptism. We'll pray over our, our people who are getting baptized. We'll celebrate with them. And then we have lunch. This Jennifer talked about it earlier. We have lunch for anybody who, who's staying. We'll set up in the backyard. The rain held off. It's like God wanted us to do this today today, but he wanted us to be outside together. So uh, we'll, we'll baptize, we'll have lunch together, we'll celebrate together, and we'll just have a fantastic end to our service. Everybody with me on that? Yes. I, I, I recognize everybody who said yes, and I'm going to expect you fully to be out there. Uh, so let's, let's close in prayer. And then after we close, um, if you have kids in, uh, in bigs or in littles, then go grab them real quick and we'll all meet out back. Uh, Father, we thank you for your presence in this house today. We thank you for what you're doing in the lives of everyone who's already getting baptized. And, and, and Father, if you're putting on anyone's heart to step up and to be baptized today, to be transformed, to receive everything that you have uh, and, and take a step into a new land, a new level of, of, their, of awareness of you, a new level of, of relationship with you, then Father, I just ask that you would Give them that release today and that encouragement to step up and to be baptized. Father, we thank you for being here. Thank you for living and moving and have your, having your being in this church family. And we just give you uh, our hearts. We give you our lives. We, we give everything over to you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.